As you turn to Psalm 16, let me read as you turn there. David is writing this and he says this, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my conscience instructs me. I keep the Lord in mind always because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to show. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. Let me say that again. In your presence, God, is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. It was just a few weeks ago, I was sitting out there in the atrium at the Welcome Center and just people were walking by and it was before the service began and, and um, someone, a friend of mine walks up to me. And they see me at one of the little kiosks out there, and they look at me, and they say to me, are you okay? Now, by the way, that's a dangerous question to ask anybody, right? You may be there for a week as they explain to you why they're not okay. So I thought about giving my pat answer, which is what? I'm fine. I'm good. It's been a great week. Man, nothing could be better. But inside of me... I was torn up and I looked at him and, and they fumbled for the words. They said, well, you, you, you look tired. I've never had anybody say that to me. Rick, you look tired. Most of you who know me know that I go and I go and I go and I want you to know that this season that we're in, this summer has been an awful summer. I would like to be, get, get, be able to get in front of you and say today as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a leader, that it's all okay, that, that man, I'm strong enough. And you know, you know no matter what comes as a, as a leader and as a shepherd, we're okay, but I want you to know we're not. And I want you to know it's okay not to be okay. Everybody hear me? It is okay not to be okay. Because we serve a God who takes care of that, right? I mean, Pastor Kenneth is sitting over here, and, and Kenneth, I, I can only imagine, I know how you feel, but we've done, I don't know, how many funerals in the last several weeks? Can I just tell you, it gets old. We love the families, and we want to do what we can, but when you see the body of Christ aching and hurting, and as a shepherd, you want to you comfort and you want to lead. I want you to know, you all, it gets exhausting. And it's not just exhausting for me because this isn't about Rick. It's not about our staff. This is about the body of 
Christ. Everybody hear me? So let me just lay the foundation today. So I've been struggling with this picture of woe is me, this pity party for Rick because of all that's taken place this summer. We buried my mother-in-law in June and I mean, it just was one thing after another after another. And I found myself in this, in this hole, in this cave, in, in, in this, this, this position that I've never felt before in my life. Or at least I don't remember feeling this way before in my life. And I remember in my quiet time going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need a path. I need something that can get Rick on the right path with you. Because I feel lost, and I feel alone, and I feel desperate. And I prayed Psalm 51 that says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Right? David calling out, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation in my life. And this is what the Lord spoke, said to me. He says, Rick, I want you to go through the book of Psalms. Now, this may be confession time. I'm not a big psalm reader. Just I love Proverbs, you know. But Psalms, you know, David, it just seems like he's always got a pity party. I'm just, it's just not me. But I started in Psalms. And he led me to chapter 16. And out of a devotion that the Lord was leading me through, through the book of Psalms, chapter 16 hit me like a sledgehammer. It took me to my knees, and I begged God, said, Lord, I need your presence to restore that joy. The title sermon is this, Joy in the Presence of Doubt and Fear. Don't we need it? Because we live in a world today that's full of doubt and fear, and if we're not careful, y'all, as Christians, as bona fide Christians, as those who are authentic in their faith, We can go down that hole and we can have doubt and fear instead of joy and peace. So the big question this morning for me is this. And by the way, if you don't get anything out of this today, it's okay. This is for me. This sermon is for me. If you get anything out of it, praise God, amen. So here's the big question for Rick this morning. Rick, how do you live out joy Because as a follower of Christ, I have that in me, right? I've got Christ in me. How do I live out joy in a world that's filled with this doubt and fear? How do we do that? I had the great fortune as a teenager. I didn't know who I was speaking with at the time. As I got older, just like most things, we begin to appreciate mom and dad, you know, right? We begin to appreciate things that we didn't know we should appreciate. But I was a teenager, a young teenager, I was at my grandfather's house up in Valparaiso, Indiana, and he had a guest staying with him because she was going to be the speaker at Moody Bible Institute the next day. And it was just happened to be the week that I was up there, me and my siblings were up there with grandpa and grandma hanging out for a week at their home. The guest who was speaking at Moody Bible, and my grandfather was a, was a board member at Moody Bible, and so he helped bring people in, her name was Corey Tin Boone. Now, at the time, I had no idea who she was. She, she, to me, she looked like a wrinkled-up old woman who had been through a long life. Little did I know she had been through it all. 
We had great conversation that day because my grandfather made us sit down and listen to Corey Tim Boom. Corey Tim Boom was one of those folks that I thought of when I thought of this picture of what joy looks like in the midst of doubt and fear because she was put in prison. Her dad and her sister died in a concentration camp in Germany. And yet through it all, she gave God praise for it all. How can we be more like that? So here's four simple things in my devotion to Rick that made sense to me. And these are four simple things when I think about that path. Lord, restore this path of joy in my life. What these four simple things may be. So if you're taking notes, if you're on our church app, um, open it up. You'll have some fill in the blanks. I think there may be a handout too that we handed out for the sermon today. So here's four simple things. All that begin with a P. So we'll remember this is where. Here's number one. The path back to joy in a world of doubt and fear, we need a present relationship with God. A present relationship with God. Look what David says in here. In verse 1, he says that God is his refuge. In verse 7, he says that God is his counselor. Also in verse 7, he says God is his instructor. In verse 8, he says he is my protector. In verse 11, he says he is his abundant joy. There is this picture with David that God is present in his life for all of those things. I want you to know it's not enough for us Christians to have a date in the past that we said we met Jesus. There has to be more in your life when it comes to walking with Jesus. We can say all we want, I got saved when I was 12 years old. Or I got saved when I was seven years old. Or I walked down that aisle. Or I got baptized way back when. But what is Jesus doing in your life today? Is he present in your life today? When I thought about being present in someone's life and having this present relationship with Christ, I thought of a marriage, right? should be like a marriage. And I thought of two things that are needed in a marriage. The first one is communication. Simple prayer and reading God's word, this communication between a holy father and someone like me. John, in John 15, 5, Jesus says these words. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear or produce much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That word remains, the one who remains in me. That word remains in the Greek means to continue to be present. The one who continues to be present in me and I in him, that person's going to accomplish much. That person's going to begin to understand what joy in the presence of doubt and fear is going to look like. We've got to remain in him. And how do we do that? We communicate. We read God's word. You know, th this is one of my pet peeves, and it's a pet peeve for me. So I'm, I'm speaking to Rick as well. So this is my devotional to me, all right? You all just in the room. I'm talking to Rick. It seems as if when things are going great, we depend less or more upon God. Less, right? Way back when, in this, when this pandemic began, I don't know, it seems like 12 years ago, but I, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was, 
and I was preaching. And I said then that we typically, and it wasn't my quote, it was Andy Stanley, he said this, we don't drift in the right direction, right? We don't drift in the right direction. It's not part of our DNA. When we drift, we have a tendency to drift closer to God or away from God. Away. It makes sense, right? And it's so true. And and the main reason is, y'all, is because when we get dependent upon ourselves and less dependent upon God, we begin to figure out things for ourselves instead of letting God help us through the path. We've got to communicate. We have to have this relationship where he is speaking to us and we are speaking to him. You know, I hear somebody once tell me that, you know, God doesn't want to hear my wish list. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. I think of him as my daddy, right? You know, one thing I love to do at Christmas time, before Christmas actually, was when I was little to sit in my dad's lap and he would be Santa, right? He'd look at me and say, so what do you want for Christmas, Rick? I'd let him have it. Now, I wouldn't get any of those things, but I, I could share those with him, right? Dad, I'd like to have. He wanted to hear. Our Heavenly Father wants to hear from you the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to know. He wants you to communicate. Even though he knows, just like a parent, we want our kids to come to us. We need to communicate to be present. And we also need to have this thing called faith. Faith in what he has promised and faith in what he has called you to be. Which, by the way, as a Christian, you have been called to be a co-heir of Jesus. How cool is that? Faith in what he has promised and faith in what he has called you to be. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, For everyone of God's promises is yes to him. Through Christ, they're all yes. In Romans 8, Paul writes, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say you had an uncle who was worth zillions. We all would like that, right? An uncle who was worth a lot of money, a lot of things. And he comes up to you one day when, I don't know, maybe you're, you're 20 years old, and he says, listen, when I die, you're going to get it all. You're going you're to be a co-heir. You're, you're, you're going you're to share in all the things that I have been given in life. Let me ask you a question. Would you have a tendency, no matter where you live, to pick up the phone a few times? Call that uncle? You think in today's modern days, you would send him an email every now and then saying, hey, uncle, how you doing? Remember me? <laughs> Remember what you told? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have this continued present relationship with that kind of uncle? You better believe you would. You'd be a fool not to. Well, think about this. You have been called a co-heir with Jesus himself. All the riches in heaven are yours. So why don't we? Why don't we call God up every now and then? Why don't we send an email to Jesus every now and then saying, Jesus, this is how I am today. Today I'm a little bit like David. I'm lost. People are attacking me on all sides. 
Why don't we be a little bit more like that? To be present in a relationship with a holy God. Here's number two. We need a present relationship with Christ. We also need a partnership with other believers. Look in verse 3 of chapter 16. David writes, And for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. They're the ones who stand out. They're the called ones. And he says, All my delight is in them. Why? Because he spends time with them. We need a partnership with other believers when it comes to this picture of joy, a path back to joy in our lives. God made us for community. He made us for relationships. And I want you to know that partnership with other believers, it's all about community in your life. I love the story in Luke chapter 5. And it's the story of Jesus and he's in this room and I had the opportunity to be in Israel several years ago and I'm in Capernaum and it's Jesus' hometown. I just get this picture because you can see the ruins around you. Of Jesus in this small little hut, this small little house. And it's filled with Pharisees. It's filled with these people who want to know more. And people can't get in the door. They're standing outside hoping to hear something. And it says there in in Luke chapter 5 that there was a man who had been paralyzed for a long, long time. And they had heard about this Jesus who could heal. And they, they were trying to get in to see Jesus and they couldn't. So what do the buddies do? They climb up on top of the roof. I can, just, I can just see it now, this thatched roof. And they begin to make their way through that thatched roof until the point where they could lower their buddy to the floor. And Jesus says this in verse 20 of that Luke 5. He says this. Seeing their faith, the faith of his buddies, right? The faith, the faith of, of his friends. Seeing the faith of their faith, he said this. He said this, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then after he healed the man, Jesus told him, he said this. He says, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And it says that everyone was given glory to God and they were filled with awe. Yeah. No-brainer, right? I imagine when I think about this story and the man who was paralyzed and all of a sudden he's been healed, he had to look to his buddies. He had to look to those guys around him, his small community, and he had to say, thank you for taking the effort to get me before Jesus. Amen? Amen. How many people are around us that we know, neighbors, colleagues that we work with that are just begging for somebody because they're paralyzed with life. They may be able to walk, but they can't walk through this life because they're, par- they're paralyzed with guilt and shame and they're lost. They don't know Jesus. And all they want is somebody to walk with them who's got faith and say, listen, let me take you before the throne of Jesus. Let me take you there. I want you to know that we have to have this partnership with other believers if we're going to get through this thing called life. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. And if you try, I want you to know that's a deep hole you're going to find yourself in. When we share the burden for others, we will see the awesome touch of God in their lives and yours. Some will be lost and they'll find Jesus. Some will be hurting and they'll be healed. 
Some don't know the next path to take, and I want you to know that Lord, that Lord Jesus is going to give them a path in which they can take. Galatians 6.2, it tells us to carry one another's burdens. It's my job. That path to joy, you have to have a present relationship with Jesus. You have to have a partnership with other believers. But look at number three. We need a posture of praise in our life. Makes sense, right? That makes sense? That if I've wandered away, if, if I'm drifting away, and I feel this tension, I feel this anxiety of the world around me that's getting in the way, it makes sense that one of the things I need to do is get on my knees before a holy God and praise him. In verse 7, David said this. He said, I will praise the Lord. In verse 8, he says, I keep the Lord in mind always. In verse 9, he says, therefore my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. By the way, that is a picture, if I've never seen one, of praise and worship. Who do I praise? He said, the Lord. When do I praise? He said, always. And why do I praise? Because it makes my heart glad and my spirit rejoices. You know, there's something about worship. And it's hard, and listen, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. But I never get over the fact that we can come before a holy God no matter what my life looks like. I say, Lord Jesus, here I am. And when worship takes place, it's like I can get lost in that, right? That nothing else matters around me for those moments. The message of praise is really simple. It's this. I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. That's what praise is all about. When we come before a holy God and we lift up our hands and our heart is, is bare before him, what I'm saying is, is, Lord, I put my trust in you and not anything in this world. In verse 1, David uses this word refuge, which literally means in the Greek, trust. I'm sorry, in the Hebrew. It literally means trust. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in me. What he is saying is protect me, God, for I put my trust in you and not in anything else. Here's the big question. So how do I praise through doubt and fear? Well, Joseph found a way after he was sold by his brothers into slavery. Moses found a way after he was told he wouldn't go into the promised land after leading these Israelites out of captivity. Jonah found a way in the middle of a fish. And David, fearing for his life, found a way as well. And I could go on and on. We can praise the Lord through doubt and fear. I've got this, um, I was given this this week. It's by C.W. Riley, and um, he was, I guess, having conversation with, or someone was having conversation with Christians in Afghanistan in this whole wake of what's taking place and transpired. And he writes this. Think about praise in the midst of whatever in your life. He said, we received news that the underground church in Cabal was being martyred. Our friends have been in contact and met together last night in deep prayer. The last word she spoke was, we feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness came over us and we were singing in the spirit. Even the kids said, mom, 
we will not deny Jesus. As they were on the phone, they heard screaming and gunshots. God is so powerful that they went to be with their creator filled with joy. And he goes on to say, we'll be fasting tomorrow for all those churches. In the midst of whatever, we can praise and worship our Lord. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. In the Greek, that's a picture of joy. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen? A posture of praise will always bring perspective in your life. Praise the Lord for his unchanging character. He is the same yesterday, today, and what? Tomorrow. Praise him for his unconditional love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son for each one of us. And praise him for his unyielding and undying pursuit of your life. There is nothing we could do to keep God from pursuing us. There is no sin too great, no distance we could run, this would discourage God, that could discourage God from loving us. From the moment you were born, God has been pursuing your heart. Praise him for that in your life. Here's number four. A passion to believe. We need a passion to believe. Verse 11, the last verse in chapter 16, David writes this. You will reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Do you believe? Do you believe that he is for you, church, and not against you? Do you believe that he has a plan for your life? Do you believe that he has forgiven you? Do you believe that he will give you comfort? Do you believe that he will never leave you? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he died for you and rose on that third day? Church, do we believe do we believe? I believe a passion to believe can be summed up with these two questions. Question number one. Do I trust the Lord enough to say these words? Not my will be done, but yours be done. Remember, all things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Not my will, Lord, but yours be, uh, be done. And here's number two. Do I allow the joy of the Lord to be bigger than my doubts? Do I allow the joy of the Lord to be bigger than all my doubts and all my fears? There's a great story in Mark chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. Let me just sum it up. Here's Jesus, and he's been out and about, and he's been healing folks, and his notoriety is beginning to spread through the region. And there was a father who has this demon-possessed son, and he's been possessed for a long, long time. And the father goes into a little bit of detail of what's been taking place. And his father comes up to Jesus, and, and he asks him the question. He said, from childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Lord, if nothing else, just show us compassion today. 
If you can't do anything else, just put your arm around us and tell us it's going to be okay. You're talking about, you're talking to the creator of the earth, right? <laughs> Lord, oh, if it's nothing but compassion you show us, it's okay. Jesus said these words in verse 23. He says, Jesus said to them, if you can, if you can, you're asking me if I can? He says, everything is possible to the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Jesus healed the boy. Y'all, gives me goosebumps because this, is, this, is me, this was me a month ago. Lord, you know I believe. But there's a part of me sometimes that I hold on to. There's a part of me that it's not necessarily doubt of you. It's just this peace I haven't let go of yet in my unbelief. Help me. I wonder how many of us can say that in here today. Lord, I do believe. But in my unbelief, I need your help. I need your help. Do I allow the joy of the Lord to be bigger than my doubts? When I was sitting in that room with Corey Tim Boom, I, I don't remember everything that she shared that day. I wish I did. I wish I'd have paid more attention as a 13-year-old teenage boy. But I do know that as she began to share through all of that, she shared with joy. She didn't look at what took place in her life in this ugly, mean-spirited, hateful way. She shared about being in a cell that was uncertain. She shared about her loneliness. She shared about the death that was around her. She shared about how ugly and horrible those in these concentration camps treated them. Her father, her sister, who she was close to, Betsy, perished in those camps. But I can remember her saying these words, that her God was big enough. Her God was big enough. Is our God, is your God, is he big enough? Is he big enough? Now here's my impact point. I'm going to come down to the floor because I want to make sure everyone gets this. Here's my impact point. As a genuine, authentic, real follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who way back when said, hey, yeah, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm talking about somebody today who is following Jesus, trying their hardest to follow Jesus, right? Even in my desert walk this summer, I, listen, I was trying hard to follow Jesus. As a follower, a genuine follower of Christ, here's my impact point. We do not, hear me, we do not, we do not give up. We do not, y'all. We don't give up. Someone who has this life of Jesus in them, you don't give up. You just don't. 2 Corinthians 4, you have this picture of the Apostle Paul, 
And he said there in verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, he says, we do not give up. It may get hard. It may get tough. We may have some doubt and there may be fear around us, but he says, we don't give up. He went on to say these things. He says, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pursued in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Then in verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though the outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction in producing for us an an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal. Amen? (laughs) But what is unseen is eternal. We do not give up because we have this treasure called the gospel of Jesus to share. Everybody hear me? We don't give up because we have this gospel of Jesus inside this feeble body that's wasting away to share. We don't give up because we have this victory in the affliction that we feel sometimes. In the loneliness and the desperation, we have this victory because of this affliction. And we don't give up because what is unseen is absolutely, hear me, eternal. (laughs) There is a hope that you can only imagine. You know, we've had to say goodbye to a lot of folks. A founding member of this church passed away, had Alzheimer's, he struggled. His wife never left his side, Miss Judy. And I thought about all of that, all the struggles he's had the last several years, and I want you to know, it was a momentary glimpse in life. Because today, What he couldn't see then, today he sees clearly. This hope, this hope of life that is eternal. I don't give up because I know that is coming, right? For the people of Jesus, that is there. And we don't ever, ever give up. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. It says, let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that laid before him endured the cross and scorning its shame. And has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, when Jesus went to the cross some 2,000 years ago, the thing that sustained him was this picture of the joy that was about to come when he saw his father face to face. That was the joy that was before him. 
and I believe this is true, I think there's a lot of folks who pretend they just are. Some of those folks are sitting in this room right now and you know that if you died, you have all kinds of doubts about where you would spend eternity. You do. When you're faced with death as much as we've been faced with death here lately, you can't help but think about it. And let me ask you the question this morning. If you were to die right now, if God was to take you home, do you know that you know that you know you would see him face to face and he would say, come on into my kingdom? Do you know that for sure? Or is this little bit of doubt that creeps into your life that says, you know, Rick, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. To be honest with you, the only thing that really sustains me Listen, I love my grandkids. I've got two, one on the way. I love my wife. We'll be celebrating 35 years of marriage coming up in a, in a week or so. I love my kids. That's not what my hope is in. <laughs> my hope is in Christ. It's in Christ. Church, do you have that hope that you know that you know that you know and by the way, Don Green, member of this church for a long time, was just here not too long ago, goes in the hospital, doesn't come out. We heard the story over and over. If that was you, do you know that you know you'd go see Jesus? 